Welcome to Movie Heaven, Movie Hell with me, Simon Aiken, and... And I'm Keith Isles, and we are both independent filmmakers who enjoy discussing movies and related media. And for this series of special episodes celebrating 40 years of Star Wars, we are very pleased to welcome back filmmaker William McLaughlin. So uh, welcome back to the show, William. Thanks very much for having me back. Hello, everybody. Hello again. Hope you uh, enjoyed the last one that I was doing. I'm interested to hear what uh, Keith and Simon are going to say about Star Wars. Indeed, yes. Well, we had you on before where we were talking about the uh, on-screen DC universe, which um, itself is a, is a very big topic. And uh, <laughs> we've obviously got you back now for an equally huge topic uh, <laughs> to talk about aspects of the Star Wars um, saga. Um, today, we're going to be focusing more on the on the prequel movies, the Star Wars prequel movies, mm-hmm. um, which uh, I guess... From your point of view, is, is that the Star Wars you sort of grew up with, William? You're a little bit nah, younger would, than me and I Simon. Um, OT all the way. Um, I think uh, probably for me, I was watching those films on VHS um, on a regular basis. Maybe strangely less A New Hope and more Empire Strikes Back and uh, Return of the Jedi. But also when I think I was about eight or nine, maybe. Um, they did the special edition re-release of the original trilogy um, and I went and saw them in the cinema and that was I think a quite a lucky kind of experience I mean I can to- I, I hate filmmakers going back and sorting things in their films if you're a, a filmmaker and you do it you know fair enough if, if you think that makes your film better but just wash your hands once your film's complete it's complete and um, so adding the bits that Lucas added in gave nothing to me um, but I would say the original trilogy or the special edition trilogy they're my films seeing that i love the prequels so it'll be interesting to talk to you about them <laughs> all right guys so um uh, phantom menace where did you see when did you see it uh william you go first you're the guest okay. um <laughs> thanks very much um so i i saw it i must have been 14 i think when i saw that it's a terrifying uh, terrifying memory there um what did i think of the phantom menace it's a strange film um, they obviously went, you know, and did a different sort of Star Wars movie. I love the fact that George Lucas directed them. I went and saw it in a multiplex with my friend uh, Duncan Scott and my mum and I think my sister as well. And I think all of us thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I think that's the sort of thing that people listening to your podcast will be clamouring about or scratching their heads about. But prior to The Phantom Menace coming out, it did have a massive trailer campaign. And I think the film, you know, did present things in a in a kind of new fresh way certainly the world building i think was absolutely incredible and a brilliant development from the original three keith okay uh well i mean uh at this point uh when it came out i had i'd finished film school um and i was uh i was still living in the u.s at the time um it was a bit of a funny time in life for me though because i was about to uh um you know, I was having visa issues and I was having to uh, prepare to come back to the UK. Um, so I was probably in a bit of a funny place emotionally anyway. Um, but I actually, I'd got tickets to see it. Obviously, there'd been a massive build up to this, huge build up to this. Uh, and I actually had tickets to see it twice on opening day. Um, I was going with my uh, then girlfriend of, of the time and also with my buddies. So I was going to see it 
twice in one day. Um, yeah, <laughs> my, my, my initial reaction was one of, uh, I've got to be honest, uh, mass disappointment. Um, and I kind of went back to see it the second time, thinking to myself, oh, no, I was obviously in the wrong frame of mind. I, I, it must have been better than, than that. And I went back <laughs> to see it again and actually struggled to, to, to stay engaged with it. So um, I, I have to admit, my, my, my experience as being a massive Star Wars fan, I mean, a, an, an uber Star Wars geek and having enjoyed, you, you know, the re-releases of the uh, original trilogy a couple of years earlier when I just started film school, um, you, you know, to, uh, to, to, to see that, I was actually... Um, somewhat disappointed and it did take me a, a long time to kind of um go back with different eyes and, and and accept the film for what it was well with myself i was actually working at a cinema at the time i was 23 and uh i'd been working in the film industry for about over a year and uh the sort of job center had caught up with me i had to get a a, a proper <laughs> job so um, I was working in what was called the Cinema Barnwood, uh, next you know next to Elstree Studio. So you know in the home of Star Wars, and um, what we used to do uh, was uh, the projectionist would screen the film to test it, and the staff could sit in and watch it. So we were all looking forward to to seeing it. We were going to sit the night before anybody else. And um, to start things off, our manager came up in front of the screen and then all had a, had a go at us all. He accused everybody in the room. Yeah, seriously. He accused everybody in the room from stealing from him. His, his exact words were, you're stealing the food out of my kid's mouth. <laughs> and then he said, you, you, we're never doing this again. You know, we're, we're, never, we're never having one of these sort of preview screenings again, which was bullshit. But, you know. He, he was trying. He was trying to make a point. Working in a cinema—that's the biggest uh, bonus—is that you get to watch your movies. Yeah, I mean, we got to see. We get ready to see films for free anyway. You know, <laughs> when you know when we weren't working, so that wasn't a problem. But the to be able to sit in with the projectionist and watch the sort of test screening—that was like that was off the off the cards, off the table now. You know, yeah. and, and what a film to do it in front of. Yeah, I was gonna say that's a slightly unreasonable um, intro, but there <laughs> yeah. you go. <laughs> so yes, it, we're all in a state of shock, and Star Wars comes up. <laughs> um, my initial impression was uh, I enjoyed it, but uh, there was a little something nagging at the back of my head. It was I'm not quite sure what it was. I mean, I, I enjoyed the pod race, and I enjoyed uh, the the final battle, but the rest of it, I was kind of like. Uh, well okay it's a bit it's 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 a lot different because um you know i i used to hang out with a lot of friends who were big into star wars and i used to go to the conventions the small conventions as before they blew up and you know it was fun talking to other star wars fans and speculating what episode one was going to be um I actually had met a few people who had worked on the film, and of course they were all being tight-lipped about it. They said, "Oh yeah, it's going to be great, it's battles and sort, you know, sea battles and all this kind of stuff." And you think, "Wow, this is, you know." And so yeah, finally watching it, you're kind of like, 
I'm not sure about this. And I, I went to the cinema again to see it. And again, I enjoyed the pod race and I enjoyed the final battle. But the rest of it kind of wasn't sitting with me. And I did. I bought it on, on VHS and I watched it a few times. And then, you know, that was it. I never, I never really watched it again. And I haven't really watched <laughs> it since, to the truth. I mean, I can tell you everything that happens in it, but it, it's a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense. I think that that's you're hitting the nail on the head. Mm. I think he got really excited, made part one. Nobody reeled him in. Nobody edited him. Nobody helped refine his ideas. And it's just out there. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I mean, yes. Uh, the making of on the DVD, which I did see, um, you can clearly see that there was a lot of people there who didn't agree with him didn't say anything because you know they were all there because of the love of star wars oh we love star wars i mean uh rick mccallum his producer um he had sort of you know brought on to start you know to do the prequels from doing uh the the young indiana jones chronicles and he was a total yes guy i mean every time he came up on you know in interviews and everything he was like George, 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 you know, he was always pushing Lucas's, you know, point of view and agenda. So he he wasn't somebody who was going to, you know, say, actually, maybe you should do this. He wasn't a Gary Kurtz, which Lucas kind of needs. Yeah, no, no, I, I would agree with that. I mean, you, you know, this, uh, you know, I, I said I didn't sort of initially enjoy it. Um, I was impressed with the uh, with the scope of it all, for sure. Um, but it it just it just didn't feel like Star Wars to me. It, it felt you know suddenly uh, it just seemed lighter, and uh, you know there were suddenly like fart jokes and stuff in Star Wars, and I was like, oh, really? You know. And I was I was a bit sort of taken back by that. And I think, um, like you've both sort of alluded to, the, the difference on this film as opposed to the, the previous trilogy, the other projects, was, you, you know, George is a great creator, a wonderful creator of these characters and universes. Um, but in the other films, you know, as film is, it was a collaboration, whereas with this, suddenly he had built his empire and um you, you, you know had sort of almost total control over everything and um was that necessarily a good thing you're right working with someone who's a yes man you you need somebody to challenge your ideas and um help them evolve more and and, and you, you know some of phantom menace although a, a technological breakthrough for sure um, but in terms of the actual storytelling and characters, it, it, it didn't feel completely evolved. Um, and I think that's possibly w- w- one of the issues with it. Plus that issue that we've talked about before mm. about prequels <laughs> and, and obviously knowing where this is going. And, um, you, you know, you're, as fans, your headcanon kind of has expectations from prequels which maybe certainly in this film weren't necessarily met maybe so i i think it's interesting when you're talking about headcanon because i think this is a, a problem that i suffer from when i go and see films where i've got an expectation of what i'm going to get 
my gripes with the Phantom Menace, you know, now as a sort of, uh, you know, objective point of view, I think I've got two huge issues with it. Firstly, the midi-chlorians. Mm. Dreadful. I know. That, yeah. That, that's an edit that's easy to take out and, and remove, but that, that's totally the wrong route. And secondly, the Trade Federation droids. That's so Deus Ex <laughs> mechanical. Um, it just is, is really clunky. It's I don't actually dislike the story in The Phantom Menace, but I think that they could have made it a lot more gripping and interesting and really increased the stakes for the characters personally if they hadn't quite spent so much time with those droids. And they're just, I don't know, it's, it strikes me as, you know, they put them in to sell toys, which is fine. That's that's the sort of film that this is. Um, but it definitely hurt the film, I think. Yeah. I mean, the, the other fit problem I have with it is there's no jeopardy. I mean, yeah. in the original trilogy, the jeopardy was that the Empire was going to crush the Rebellion. Yeah. In this, um, the Jedi are very powerful, so powerful that, you know, they, they're undefeatable. They just go along, you know, wave their lightsabers around <laughs> and cut things to pieces, you know, cut the robots to pieces, and they just go, Raja, Raja. And that's <laughs> it, you know. And... Uh, little inconsistencies like at the beginning they they have force speed where you've got those rolling droids that come up with the shields and they just they go you know down the corridor yet when they could have really used that at the end with the Darth Maul um, (laughs) battle oh suddenly they can't use it it's like Obi-Wan has suddenly forgotten uh, how to do it also the other thing as well was that Obi-Wan should have been the lead he was actually you know, on the side, while yeah. old Qui Gon Jinn was getting to know Anakin Skywalker, and it's like, well, you know, really, you know, it's the relationship between Obi Wan and Anakin that we want to see, not you know, a character who, <clears throat> thanks to the uh, soundtrack, told us was going to die. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I mean, definitely the the, the metachlorines thing was was you know, I mean, we're, we're not saying anything new. I know that's frustrated mm. millions of fans, you know, across the planet over the years. Yeah. Um, but uh, you, you know, this this whole in the original trilogy, the Force was ambiguous enough that. Um, you know, it wasn't explained by by any science or anything of that nature. It was this mystical thing that mm. uh, you know some people had a stronger affinity to than others, etc. But um, yeah, when they kind of made it then about you know science and and um, you, you know kind of putting putting it in a box almost um, seemed to detract a lot from 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 the possibilities and and obviously the mystery uh, of the force yeah. and yeah. um and and the jedi and, and and that 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 was obviously a major disappointment sorry i was going to say as as well and then and then they don't use it in the rest of the prequels because they know they have a sif amongst their mitts so what's a good way of finding out if you've you've got a force user is check his metachlorian count well they don't decide to do that do they the continuity within those three films is uh, ropey I think what I hate about the midi-chlorians is that it breaks the fundamental filmmaking rule which is show don't tell Mm. and if you think about like Luke training on Dagobah and Empire Strikes Back 
even though they sort of talk about the force and so on, I don't think any of that matters because you see the two characters using it. You see Mark Hamill's performance, he's struggling, and then Yoda, obviously a puppet, but he doesn't struggle as much. Awesome. It's clear as day. You know, even children who aren't paying any attention to what's been said can watch that and get it. Whereas you bring in the midichlorians, it's like, nah, gone. Yeah. Not interested. Yeah. And, yeah. and such a throwaway scene as well. I mean, yeah. yeah. Oh, very much so. Yeah. 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 It's, it's very, very, in fact, um, you, you know, the, the, the film, even though it's got some sort of amazing action sequences in it, it it's amazing. It's also um, quite surprising how, how slow the film is in places. Mm. Um, you, you know, there are a lot of scenes that are actually particularly, you know, for, for a child or, audience, I'd imagine quite boring. <laughs> you know, with lots of um, exposition and and just not much happening, and uh, and obviously a very stilted, you, you know, type of type of acting as well, because you know that that that's how George likes those sort of things. But um, <laughs> uh, but 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 you, you, you know, it, it's it's. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm quite I'm being quite hard on it. I know, um, but I, I'm just going off of my. I'm trying to put my memory back to what my emotion was at the time. And, uh, you, you know, I'm, I know they make a whole joke about this in, in like comedy shows like Spaced or whatever, uh, you know, with the character being depressed after having seen the, 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 the Phantom Menace. But, uh, but you know, I, I did as a Star Wars fan sort of feel let down by this, this sort of first chapter. And I just thought, well, I, I hope it's going to get better. Um, because I didn't think it was great, you know, is, is the honest thing. And even watching it since, you know, I accept it for what it is and where it is. And of course, it's officially part of the canon, etc. cetera. But um, uh, yeah, it, it's not the most exciting film. It's not like the other films where I can put them on any time and I'll watch them. Uh, I never have a sort of burning desire to think, oh, I know, I'll stick the Blu-ray of Phantom Menace in and watch that this afternoon you know that 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 just doesn't happen <laughs> for me with this film i'm afraid you know yeah it's, it's kind of telling when if you want the uh, all singing all dancing versions of the films you have to get the prequels as well <laughs> you can't go, you, can i just have like the all singing all dancing original trilogy just skip no me. there's too many too many phantom menace discs still in circulation you have to get some of them yeah mm. um what what do you guys think about uh, i don't think you can talk about the phantom menace and not mention jar jar binks misa think we need to forget him <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh absolute terribly big misstep in the whole trilogy uh um, I I remember again the run up to um, Star Wars, the Phantom Menace coming out. There was an exhibition down at the Barbican, mm-hmm. and you had these sort of behind the scenes videos. And again, um, they were pushing Jar Jar. They were saying, you know, Jar Jar is a totally CGI created character. You've never seen anything like this. You know, uh, he's going to be a big part of the uh, trilogy. And then you saw the what actually Jar Jar was, and Jar Jar was comic relief. And as much as we kind of had comic relief with the droids, uh, we also but the, the droids actually played a big part in the, the original trilogy. Uh, Jar Jar was just a complete moron that was just there, and um, 
you know, and you can tell that um, that Lucas kind of listened to 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 audiences. That his involvement in the other two um, films became less. Less even less, yeah. even though I think his part in Attack of the Clones is a big fuck you to the audience. Yeah, I really, I, do, I really I do. do. What he does in Attack of the Clones, only that he's kind of he becomes a senator and then it's completely dialed right back. Yes, but what he does in Attack of the Clones is he gives uh, the the powers to um, Palpatine so that he can uh, raise his yeah. um, clone army. I think that kind of involvement, you know. Because technically, the, the fall of the Republic is, you know, down to Jar Jar. And Jar Jar being so easily persuaded to do it, you know. This is, you know, when he's standing there in the office and there's uh, Palpatine with one of his advisors. And it's like, oh, if only somebody was here that could help us. I know, <laughs> I know um, Senator um, Amidala would, uh, would vote for us. And you can just see Jar Jar go, oh, that's a good idea <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's a very good impression do, do you think do you think lucas changed this original concept for that story in attack of the clones based on the reception that jar jar got in phantom menace i think because as you say he's now on the sideline in the phantom menace he was yeah. he was there in the center of the the action i mean the whole <laughs> sort of battle sequence with the uh gungans and the droid army where he's you know he's taking out droids by mistake well, yeah, I mean, th- th- this is this is what I was going to say about it. Is 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 that's part of the problem with it? I mean, George clearly loves this character and created him, and I don't know whether he was supposed to be like the the prequels answer to Chewbacca or something. But um, you, you, you know, you know, the 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 creation of the uh, of him, and technically, you know, the fact that they've created this character completely in CGI and all that, you know, all very clever. But this is the problem. It became all sort of slapstick and accidental hero stuff. And there was a lot of that in Phantom Menace, even with Anakin, you mm. know, when when he was piloting the ship and he's accidentally sort of <laughs> pressing the wrong buttons and yeah. taking the bad guys out. And I'm thinking to myself, this is a far cry from Luke having to use the force in the trenches to destroy the Death Star to all this kind of, accidental hero slapstick humor crap you know and and i really hated that i hate all that sort of hero by chance stuff i mean there's no there's no agency there you know exactly exactly none at all and um yeah you you know this was the thing and and i and i actually do think um george possibly did listen to uh or, or, or did take note of the fan reaction because um I haven't met many people that that like Jar Jar Binks. Um, a few, but but very few people seem to uh, seem to feel that that character fits into the uh, Star Wars universe because he's a bit. He's just a bit too Roger Rabbit, isn't he, for his own good? You know, good analogy. It's it's, uh, mm. it's the wrong movie. <laughs> it's the wrong movie, though, isn't it? It's 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 you know what I mean. To, to have him in that universe does just doesn't sort of feel right. But. Um, uh, but you, you know, I, I guess I guess very clever the way they they did it all. But um, but yeah, it didn't really work for me. I have to say, I I found it massively irritating. <laughs> yeah, I feel sorry for Ahmed Best, who presumably thought he might have launched his career um, as a sort of Andy Serkis esque mocap actor. Um, but yeah, not not to be. 
Mm. Well, yeah, because mm. he, mm. yeah, if because uh, we mocap uh, actors really wasn't a thing back then. If anything, he mm. was the first one, but yeah, unfortunately, it was just a, a character that's you know reviled by by most <laughs> most people. As yeah. you say, yeah. I've I've not met somebody who went, so. oh, I really like that Jar Jar Binks. I think yeah. I'm going to get a Jar Jar Binks t-shirt, actually. I think that's going to be one for Christmas for the holidays, <laughs> Jar Jar Binks. Wait, you, look, you, never, you never know. What, I never know what to expect from these podcasts. And one of the things I am uh, slightly surprised about yet again is I, I thought you might be defending these, uh, these prequels uh, a bit more, just, William, than, than you are. So it's interesting. Keith, <laughs> just because it's crap doesn't mean I can't love it. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I think probably the Phantom Menace is the the the, the worst. I yeah. would say. Um, oh, yeah. I really, I really like Attack yeah. of the Clones. I think it's um, I think it's really interesting as a sort of Hollywood movie. Um, there's lots of stuff that I love about it. Just the look of that film. I think Phantom Menace is a little bit too kind of bright and fuzzy, and just the sort of state of the special effects aren't quite there. For me, Attack of the Clones nailed it. And bringing in, uh, you know, Anakin Skywalker reloaded, giving him the extra 20 years, um, it changed it for me. And um, when I saw Attack of the Clones, I was probably 18, I think. Um, it was midnight in the largest cinema in the world at the time, tallest cinema in the world, um, in Renfrew Street in Glasgow. Uh, a big cine world had just opened up. And uh, I loved Attack of the Clones. So many drunk Glaswegians, the whole cinema was packed. Anakin's having his nightmare and people are, you know, he's shouting about his mum and stuff like that. People were people were talking all the way through the film. It was much more like going to America and seeing something in the cinema than being in the UK. Um, so I loved Attack of the Clones. And I think that's probably the one that I've watched the most. I must, okay. I must admit, I had a similar experience as you, William, when I went to see it. Um, I went to the preview screening at the Odeon Leicester Square. So, like, midnight screening, loads of Star <laughs> Wars fans outside, all dressed up, got their lightsabers, you know, all having a great laugh. We get in there, and uh, Anthony Daniels there is to, you know, to introduce the film. And I remember him trying to, you know, rile up the crowd. So he's like, Star Wars, everyone's, yeah, Empire Strikes Back, yeah, Return of the Jedi, yeah, <laughs> Phantom Menace. And people started booing, boo, <laughs> boo, and somebody shouted out, Jar Jar must die. <laughs> and then uh, Rick McCallum came on, and uh, obviously between the two films, he'd gained a bit of weight. And funny enough, looked like my old uh, cinema manager. And, uh, and then started swearing at us. I'm like, bloody hell, I'm having flashbacks here. <laughs> <laughs> hence, why I didn't go to that, hence why I didn't go to a preview screening of um, Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> and it, yeah you've you've been uh, you have guilt for every star wars prequel film you see because of the intro <laughs> the intro is built, built around guilt yeah um, no, I, I mean i i have to admit um you know for me all of the prequels are a step in the right direction from the previous so uh, uh attack of the clones um even though it's not without its problems, I think. But uh, overall, I enjoyed it um, far more than I did uh, Phantom Menace. And, and for me, it has far more watch appeal um, than, than, than Phantom Menace. So, uh, 
yeah, I, I really liked um, where they started to take this. Uh, I liked the fact that, um, you, you know, it focused more around the, the sort of love story, um, which was obviously going to be key and integral to uh, to the character of Anakin Skywalker and his sort of journey uh, to becoming Darth Vader. So, so I thought I thought that was all handled well. Um, they gave Obi Wan, you, you know, really something to do in this one. Sort of like, like you said, Simon, moving him sort of more from less from the side character, more into the sort of central role with this one. Um, uh, and, and you know, it did feel that things had developed a lot, you know, in terms of their relationship in that sort of, uh, you know, you know, ten years or whatever it's supposed to be between the uh, between the, the the first two films. Um, my issue with uh, Attack of the Clones was there was there was still a, a there was there was still a lot of um, there was a little bit of the sort of accidental hero stuff going on in in, in places. Um, uh, and, and, you know, there was a few sort of uh, uh, corny, you know, corny one liners and stuff that that, that that didn't particularly work. And the other thing was, um, again, you, you know, I'm impressed with, with how the technology had jumped from the first film to the next, etc. But um, uh, I did sort of feel sometimes that, you know, particularly like the battle on Genosis, I just felt like I was watching a. A, a video game um it all felt a little bit too uh too too created um t to me in places but i mean I, I am nitpicking when i say this the the actual film itself is was 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 enjoyable i thought having the cg version of yoda in this film uh was an improvement one of the things that bothered me with the first film uh, just to step back to that quickly um, about Yoda <laughs> was, um, you, you know, Yoda was supposed to be 900 years old or whatever. So this film was only set, what, 30, 30 something years before we see him in, in Empire Strikes Back. And I'm like, why have they made him look different? You know, he wouldn't look that different. And, and it really bothered me that the puppet looked different and wrong and obviously in subsequent blu-ray and dvd releases they've replaced him now with the um with the with the digital version that looks much closer to how yoda looked in in empire and jedi so um uh you, you know i thought that was that was a bit of an improvement but um uh but but in terms of his character i was always sort of bothered that that yoda had an apartment in coruscant and <laughs> kind of lived in this in this city you know, you, you know, when when I always kind of romanticise the idea of him living in, you know, on a planet um, devoid of any technology and all of that sort of thing, and just the Force as, as his ally. Um, and, you know, you had a Yoda that one minute would be sort of jumping around doing backflips mm. with a lightsaber and all this. And then walking away with his with his walking stick, and and then that that always bothered me slightly. <laughs> I have a lot of problems with Attack of the Clones, and if anything, it's my least favourite of these films. Um, firstly, I was not a big fan of the Yoda fight. Um, for me, the Emperor seemed to be of such power that he could shoot lightning out of his fingertips. But in Attack of the Clones, it just again. They both shoot like, you know, Dooku and Yoda both shoot lightning because they've reached whatever Jedi level. 
And I was just like, oh, okay. And then seeing the little CGI Yoda pull out the lightsaber and just, you know, spin around a lot. I was like, what the fuck? This is not what I pictured Yoda to be. And then, mm. as you say, with the joke with after that, he then the walking stick. I remember the reaction. Everybody was like, yeah. I'm sitting there going, really? It's kind yeah. of stupid. Yeah. In my, yeah. In my screening, it got uh, about 10 seconds of cheating and about, uh, you know, a minute of laughing <laughs> yeah. um, when, when you were the CGI came on. Um, Keith, I think your, your point about like the films being a bit kind of glitchy and computer gamey, to me, that's part of the charm of Star Wars from the beginning. Um, it's undoubtedly like a series where the special effects are game changing. Every time a film comes out, there's something in it where I just think that's the best I've ever seen it being done. But for every one of those, you know, there's the face replacement on Count Dooku's stunt double mm. and things like that, where um, Christopher Lee is delivering his lines. And then all of a sudden there's some guy doing acrobatics and the special effect there just doesn't work. But I love that. I think that's awesome. To me, that's part of Star Wars. Um, and I think that this film, like the entire prequel tri- trilogy, it demonstrates that for every bit it gets spectacularly right. There's other parts where you just want to look away from the screen and put your fingers in your ears. I think the problem with the prequel films is it's been about the technology. Everyone is about being pushing the technology. I mean, it was all shot on green screen. Um, you know, you have these massive battles. But the problem was there was never any stakes. The story suffered because of all this technology. Because everything was sort of, you know, because you didn't, for a start, I never felt like they were actually there doing these things. Now, okay, some of the stuff that they do in these films, yeah, you couldn't do. You know, you can get a stamp man, you know, whizzing through the city of Coruscant on a, on a droid or hanging off ships or, you know, because it'd probably kill them. If, well, we don't have flying cars, but there you go. You know, okay, there's certain things where you use CGI, but they use CGI for everything. And it made a lot of the scenes kind of boring. I mean, there was a lot of scenes in rooms where people, you know, there's a scene where... Uh, Amadella's p- packing and Anakin's talking to her. And that was like, okay, it's boring, you know. It's, you're just sort of, again, it's a lot of this stuff happens in rooms, but you you, you know it's not real. You, you can feel the fakeness. Um, so I think that's been its main problem is that the focus has been on pushing the technology. Look at this fantastic creature we've made, but... It's kind of like he's there, he's gone. I mean, Attack of the Clones, you had, um, I can never remember the character's name, but the owner of the 50s diner that just happens to be in Coruscant. <laughs> Nodding, you know, yeah, George, we get it. You, It's a big nod to American Graffiti. We got it. But, you know, he has, he, he's there for one scene and he's never seen again. Yet him and, and Obi-Wan are, are great friends and, you know, and he's also the guy to go if you want to know things. It's like, uh, you know, and then I think the whole mystery thing was a bit stupid. Um, you know, when he goes to the the planet with the clones and he's on the, the, the hollow phone to Yoda, go, did we order a clone army? <laughs> you know, I think alarm bells would be ringing, you know. Uh, no, we didn't. And we certainly didn't want to use uh, the DNA from Django Fett, you know. So, because yeah. The, 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 
the mystery is that it's Palpatine that's been pulling all the strings and consolidating power, isn't it? Is that yeah? That's a tactic. yeah. Which which is it doesn't work. You know, I mean, in, unless unless you're literally watching these in chronological order, yeah. Okay, it really doesn't make sense because to the fans of the original, um, you know trilogy we know that palpatine yeah. is going to become the emperor <laughs> yeah, anyway yeah. so this whole who is this Darth Sidious oh, yes. character it's like well it's pretty bloody obvious really isn't yeah it? yeah and so, also, and also again, that, that didn't work no and know? also his plan again it, it just it needed to sort of it, it would it only works if all these things happen and thank and luckily enough for him they do he's not a it's this weird thing where I always thought that the Emperor's rise to power was due to being, yes, manipulative, but also being opportunist as well. This Clone War comes along and he, you know, he uses that opportunity to seize power. That's how it would work in the real world as well. Not that the fact that he would orchestrate this whole thing from the very beginning. You know, so Phantom Menace was him, you know, becoming the... Uh, was it councillor or grand council or whatever, you know, whatever the head of the uh, mm-hmm. republic is, and then the second one is starting this war, and then the third one is then you know seizing power. It, it it's it's a lot of coincidences and luck that you know his plan falls into place. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was a bit like we were saying in the DC CU, one about yeah. the Batman. V Superman thing about how a lot of that, you know, again was very coincidental rather than the plan being really solid, you know. And uh, you, you've got a similar thing here, haven't you? I think it <laughs> needed to be in, well, I'll just ignore that uh, slight against Lex's amazing master plan there. But I think with my, my problem with the uh, depiction of, of Palpatine was it needed to be a lot more Shakespearean and sort of Machiavellian rather than opportunistic. Um, he's not again. It's about agency for me. He's not shown, I think, in the, in the uh, prequel trilogy as being manipulative enough. Of course, you get the shots where he's kind of, you know, <laughs> Ian McDermott's just, uh, you know, grinning and sort of smiling and putting on the performance and stuff. But there wasn't mm-hmm. enough presented in the dialogue, I think, where you could see him and his performance planning in his head. And I think that that needed to be a bigger part of it. Yeah. Exactly, because uh, because they were playing the game of, well, we don't know who this Darth Sidious guy is, and that's how the, the films come across. But to the audience, I think that's why a lot of Star Wars fans hate these films, is that they felt like they were being treated as being stupid. Yeah. It's like, we know exactly who Darth Sidious is, we know who Palpatine is. Stop playing the stupid game with us. We know it. Just, just you know, just show us. We want to see him. We want to see him in action. We want to see him come up with his evil plan. We want to see his how he comes to destroy the Republic and build the Empire. And and then when it happens, you just like what? God, this is so crap. <laughs> you know, it's really. Yeah, we're, we're, we're watching these films as adults, and uh, I think the the prequel trilogy was definitely made as a series for children, like a new generation to enjoy Star Wars. Um, whereas I think the new stuff has been made for people in their 30s and 40s to go and watch as a legitimate kind of film. And it happens to be child-friendly enough that you could bring your kids. 
Whereas I think the prequel trilogy was a family movie. You know, it was child friendly and sort of designed that way. Yeah, I mean, and so it was weird then that the uh, the third film was like a twelve. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, wow, yeah, yeah. They'd already seen eight years of the one and two. Yeah, I mean, before we yeah, move I mean, on it, to... Yeah, I mean, it got dark, didn't it? Yeah, before we move <laughs> on to Revenge of the Sith, my, my other main problems with Attack of the Clones is Anakin Skywalker. Uh, when Obi-Wan Kenobi um, describes Anakin Skywalker to Luke Skywalker in A New Hope, he looks back on a fondness of a friend that he'd lost. Not on a whiny, perchlant <laughs> kid who felt he was better than everybody, who clearly was going to join the dark side uh, and had no real redeeming features about him. I mean, his way of um, of, fall- of proclaiming his love to... Um, oh, um, Amadala. 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 Um, was... I mean, really? I mean, it's like... It's... He came across as a stalker. Uh, he, you know, and also this whole thing about um, Jedi's and senators cannot fall in love. Love is forbidden. I mean, <laughs> especially when she's wearing the most like this that black outfit was kind of like you know it's kind of uh, sexy. Oh yeah, it's kind of sexy, and she's going. But <laughs> Anakin, <very> sexy. <laughs> Anakin, we but we can't. It's forbidden. And it's like. Jesus, girl, you're a dick tease wearing that. Yeah. You know, going, we can't. You, you, you got one of the sexiest actresses in the world. You're right. Yeah. Very sexy uh, attire and um, uh, lots of midriff and whatever going on in, oh, um, yeah. in that second film. But, yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, uh, which is, again, interesting as it's supposed to be a child-friendly <laughs> thing. But, uh, but um, uh, yeah, I mean... Th- th- you know, to talk about Hayden Christensen uh, briefly, um, you know, he didn't have a lot of great material to work with in terms of the way some of this was scripted, to yeah. be fair. Yeah. But at the same time, I often wonder, I mean, you, you, you know, the rumour mill for a long time was going around that, uh, like, Leonardo DiCaprio was could have been potentially attached to playing the role. And I do think to myself, my God, if you've got a a great actor like Leonardo DiCaprio, you know, who is clearly one of the, the best of the, the current generation of, of actors out there um, to, to, to play, you know, a role like Anakin Skywalker, you know, what it, what it might've been because, um, you, you, you know, it, he was supposed to be this, like you said, he'd been really bigged up um, in the, in the uh, original trilogy and uh you know he was he was supposed to be this really intriguing character um you know with tons of charisma you know the best star pilot in the galaxy a really close friend on you know a cunning warrior you know all of these things and um yeah it does feel like a lot of that development gets very skipped over in in this film um you, you know that turns into being very much about spectacle um one of the other things about these can i can i just no 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 can i hold up can i just sorry can i just address the leonardo dicaprio thing because yeah yeah i agree it would have been good to have him in the part but 
the part was badly written. Yes. At the end of the day, the part was badly yes, was. written. Yeah. So no matter what actor was playing it, it it still would have come across the same way. There, there would be no saving it by whatever actor you were in. Because a lot of the actors of that age would be looking up to Lucas anyway as, you know, as like being this amazing filmmaker and would agree with everything he said. you got to remember in the original trilogy, you know, the actors were mocking the, the scripts. You remember Harrison Ford's famous line, <laughs> you can write this shit, but you can't say it. <laughs> you know? You can't say it, yeah. Yeah. So, unfortunately, every actor that was appearing in these prequels loved the originals, so would treat uh, Lucas's words as, as gospel. There's, again, there was nobody there who was going to, you know, say anything. I mean, Ewan McGregor has gone on many shows and, you know, and stories and everything saying that, you know, how much he hated working on those films, how he found the dialogue stilted, how, you know, but every time you saw him on behind the scenes, he was like, oh, I'm having a great time. Well, hey, ooh, lightsabers, woo, you know. So there's... Yeah, and he was very yeah. lucky to be there. He shouldn't have been slagging it all off. You know what I mean? But uh, I know, hey, but the, the end of the day, there's, again, you're presented with these scripts. And I think this is the, the main problem with these prequels are the, the stories they're telling, the scripts. And, yeah. you know, you, you have a character like Anakin Skywalker who clearly is going to become Darth Vader. There is not this tragic fall from grace because there was no grace to start off with, you know? He, he admits mm-hmm. to Amadella that he wants power, that he wants more, you know? And also a way yeah. of, of, of getting your girl, guys, is telling them about how you slaughtered a whole village of sand people. Women and children too. Women and children um, too. <laughs> and crying it. about it. I mean, what's, I... What's, I, interesting I, I Hmm. What's interesting about Hayden Christensen again? Sorry, just before you move on, because hmm. obviously he's the core component in this in this film. Like you've just said, Simon, he's the character so bigged up in A New Hope that when you get him as an adult, it's it's kind of I think he's the wrong casting choice. The part's written really badly, and also because he's an actor at the start of his career, he doesn't do what I wish he'd done with a director like George Lucas, which is just ignore everything he said and do his own thing. <laughs> now. I've trained as a director, I've directed actors, I've made my own films. It's happened to me um, where I've been directing somebody and they haven't really taken my direction on board and have done their own thing. Um, that's not what you want. Uh, sometimes it can yield a better result. I'm thinking specifically of Terminator Salvation, where Christian Bale, I imagine, just ignored everything that he's him and turned in a performance so good it makes the film look even worse than it is. <laughs> But uh, I think that's that's what might have saved Hayden Christen's performance for me, is if he had the um, maybe the experience to have just thought, right, well, I don't really think George has got a clue here. I'm going to do my own thing. Um, but because he was a young actor, start his career, and it's a massive role, maybe he was right to just get, work with what he was given. Um, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, it, I mean, it's, it's hard I, to say we, yeah. we'd, all, we'd all like the opportunity to, to get to do something like that, wouldn't we? But yeah, uh, it, no, you know, I, I mean, can, I, sorry, I, sorry, I, sorry. I can I just is, no? Can I just I, I just want to just say something about directing there for a second, there, William. Uh, if actors go off and do their own things, I think you really need to put your foot down because at the end of the day, if it's something that you haven't agreed with the actor, then serious, then you you will find that them running off and doing their own thing is a bad thing at the end of the day. 
Uh, even if the results, the yield are good, most of the time it, they, they, the, the results are pretty bad. I'm not saying that actors should be, you know, should be automatons, but what I'm saying is that if an actor wants to do something different, then they should be able to approach you and, and talk to you about it and not just go and do it, you know. And if you see that happening in the future, William, please go over to them and start talking to them about it because it's, at the end of the day, you, as a director, you will regret that you didn't say anything. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, you know, film is a collaborative medium yes. and when people aren't collaborating with each other, it's to the detriment of the film, exactly. to the detriment of the final product. Totally. I think it's it's important, yeah. I think, to also uh, just say, like, you know, there's so much of film discussion where people never, ever say anything that paints themselves in a bad light or admit mm. that they make a mistake and stuff. And I don't like that. And any job that I've had, whenever I've made a mistake, I've been like, I messed up. Mm. And uh, for me... Um, especially with creative stuff, when I fuck it up, that's when I get most excited to realise how to do something the right way or a better way. Um, so that's definitely like my most informative experiences directing hmm. have usually come out of an experience that I didn't particularly enjoy at the time. Yeah. Um, but that's how you make it better in the future. That's right. You 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 learn you learn from the bad experiences. Yeah, I mean, film is definitely, you know, it is the director's medium, but at the same time, it is very much a collaboration. Really, you know, you know, you hire good actors because you want to see what they're going to bring to something as well. And, um, you, know, you know, to be fair to the cast of um, Attack of the Clones, you know, I think you're both right in terms of the actual script itself. They, they, they didn't have a, a great deal to work with here. Um, I mean, this is where I think that the, the prequels... If you if you want to say they go wrong, I, this is where I think they go wrong a bit. Is is this this is supposed to be you know this story is as George Lucas often says it's supposed to be the rise and fall of Anakin Skywalker. You know that's what the saga is, and um, unfortunately the films themselves, the prequel films themselves, rely very much on on spectacle and less on the sort of character development and things of that nature, which, which kind of lets it down. I mean, what, one of the other issues I've got with Attack of the Clones is, particularly towards the beginning of the film, is everybody seems to be able to defy gravity and almost like being a Jedi Knight means you can practically fly. Um, <laughs> and again, when you compare that to like Luke hanging from Bespin at the the end of Empire Strikes Back, where you know you're really worried that he that he could fall, and there are stakes there. Um, when they're at the beginning, in that sort of pod chase thing, and they're all sort of leaping from vehicle to vehicle. Not only didn't I believe anything I was seeing, but there really seemed to be no problem. It's like, oh, no worries. I'll just jump and grab onto something else that's flying and then I'll jump from that and do a somersault and grab onto something else that's flying and you're thinking, okay, you know, I know these are Jedi Knights, but at the same time they're not Superman. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the, the, yeah, I have niggles with it, but I do think episode two is, is a um, is, is an is a evolution and an improvement on, um, on Attack of the Clones. Uh, sorry, on um, Phantom Menace, for sure. But but, uh, but uh, again, it would have been nice if we'd got more of this character development around um, Anakin and we saw 
arc to his character than the abrupt one that we end up getting, you know, where he's, he sort of changes to bad pretty quickly, you know, and he, he falls in love pretty quickly and then changes to evil pretty quickly. Mm. And, um, you know, that's just, that's just the construction of the films, unfortunately. So, yeah. So revenge of the Sith. Um, I didn't rush out to see this one. Um, I remember the press at the time. This is the darkest Star Wars ever. You know, it's dark. Get ready, guys. It's going to be dark. You get to see Darth Vader. It's going to be dark. And, yeah, mm-hmm. it was, you know, um, probably about as... Well, I mean, I have to say Empire felt darker than this does. does. Um, I think, again, Revenge of the Sith um, is a lot of spectacle. Uh, it has this weird tonal shift where at the beginning we're having a fun adventure. You know, we're here to rescue this um, Palpatine. And, um, you know, and then you have this beheading <laughs> where uh, Anakin is tricked into um, executing uh, Dooku. And then, and then we're sort of, and then we're off to stop the war. And then the war ends and then... Now we're killing Jedi's and we're killing the separatists and the empire is rising. And then we have a 30 minute lightsaber battle, which is the most dullest uh, duel I have ever seen in my life. It's, it's amazing how they went from the end of the Phantom Menace with uh, Ray Park and Ewan McGregor. Mm. And that is probably my favorite sword fight, I think on film. I think it's absolutely incredible. The stunt work in that and the choreography. Yes. Yeah. Brilliant stuff. Yeah. To that. You know, the battle where, you know, I'm convinced that um, the sort of method of um, sort of uh, sword fighting and stuff should be done in the sort of Sergio Leone kind of um, Akira Kurosawa way, where yeah. the actual action is totally, you know, one sword striker, one gunfire, that's it. And it's all the talking and the build-up and the sort of filmmaking part of it that lends weight. Um, and in this film, they just completely wrecked it. The end is awful um in fact that's that's what i was um sort of going over in my head just when you were talking about it there uh simon mm. i had a, a girlfriend at uni who when this came out was a massive hated hayden christensen fan that loved him oh, so I saw right. him three times i think i saw it opening night at the cinema um and for all the kind of um cinematic glitz and the kind of slickness to it and I, I do really like that I think that is a, a pull for me on films is the way that they look and sound and and so on this just had absolutely no soul or kind of attempt to you're having a heart mm. and you know when you compare it to something like A New Hope where that is just a fairy tale I think um there's none of that at all in Revenge of the Sith it doesn't even you know it doesn't even feel that bad that it became Darth Vader yeah well, it was inevitable. I mean, again, this is a prequel problem is that we know where this leads. I mean, uh, but also just sort of speeding things up where, you know, the last shot we've seen Vader next to the Emperor and they're looking out and they're saying, oh, well, look, the Death Star's being created. And we know it takes about 30, you know, 20 years for them to do complete it. But, you know, they already got the... Sh- it looks like it's underway quite well. It should be ready in a year or so. So <laughs> it's... it's yeah, it's just these weird, um, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, I, I mean, I, yeah. I, I had a, I had a, I had a, a different and rather special um, experience actually for for watching episode three 
uh, Revenge of the Sith. Because what I actually did was <clears throat> I went to the Empire Leicester Square, did a Star Wars day where oh, right. they basically played the original trilogy and then they played parts one and two prequels and then they ended with the first showing of um revenge of the sith okay so i i went to this day and it was one of often in life there's things that you know don't meet your expectations and you you build it up in your head and then you go to it and it's obviously not quite what you're expecting um, but I have to say, this Star Wars day was completely the opposite for me, okay, in, in so much I, I queued up and got a ticket when they went uh, on sale. And I was actually, I was working on a, on a film called um, Flyboys at the time, where I was a, um, I was one of the, I was an extra. I was a, um, uh, one of the background pilots, and I also did some stand-in work for James Franco. And uh, I managed to get a day off to come and see this because I'd already booked it. And I was like, I, I said to the, the second AD, you know, was there any chance I could get this particular day off because I had something planned? And, and it worked out fine. And I did. And I remember I turned up in Leicester Square really early. I thought, oh, I'll grab a bit of breakfast because I'm going to be in the cinema all day. I mean, it was literally sort of starting at 9 a.m. and you'd get out at like midnight or whatever. So I thought, fine. And I went and I was blown away because they had transformed Leicester Square. Okay, you had um, X-Wing fighters and uh, all sorts of Star Wars vehicles in the square. You had an orchestra right in the middle of the square playing the Star Wars music. And then you had something like 100 people dressed up as stormtroopers being marched around the square by Darth Vader with Boba Fett taking up the rear uh, of, of the group and all this sort of thing. And it was done so well. I was like, oh, my God. And then you get in the cinema and um, they were providing food and drink uh, as part of your ticket price. Uh, all sorts of like goodies and, and whatever. Uh, sat through the film. You had a nice little break between each film to get some food and and there were photo opportunities, you know, like with R2-D2 and all sorts of stuff like that. And then at the end, before they um, put Revenge of the Sith on, you had George Lucas, uh, Rick McCallum, Ewan McGregor, Anthony Daniels, um, you, you know, a, a host of guests that came to introduce the film. And I'll never forget, although this turned out to be something not to be too excited about in the end but george lucas's final comment before the film started playing was uh, i'm on a flight out of london tomorrow to begin work on the next indiana jones film <laughs> everybody went nuts our audience went nuts uh, and uh and i have to say for me i really enjoyed revenge of the sith um you, you know it was very dark much darker than i was expecting Thing, uh, which I liked because I like dark, as you know. Um, my only issue with it was it's interesting what, what you say about the Kurosawa stuff because obviously Lucas has has always been in, influenced by Kurosawa, and I and I agree the, um, the 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 this this epic lightsaber duel at the end uh, where we knew Darth Vader Anakin was going to get um, and fall into the lava and all this stuff. That that definitely could have been a bit better. And then what it felt like is, as you'd already said, Simon, 
that how at the end of the film was like, oh, well, we've got to tie this in with the with what comes in 20 years. So it was all like she's there and she's like, ah, ah, Leia. Oh God! Which is a bit laughable. Oh, the the nose. It's like it's like it's like there's there's the there's the Death Star, and then Yoda says about um oh don't don't worry um you'll you'll be able to you'll be able to communicate communicate with your former master you can and all this sort of stuff you know and then it's like. uh Oh, CPO, oh, he's seen all of this. I'll wipe his memory. No worries. You know, and it's like, oh, okay. So they had to sort of tie it up in a neat bow, which didn't really sort of work right at the end. But yeah. other than that, I thought the, the, the journey there was, was fantastic, you know. <laughs> so I, I actually really enjoyed this one. You just reminded me about, what well, one of the reasons why I hate this uh, these films, and that is that the, the you've, it's been building up to this point of, Anakin becoming Darth Vader and the, the whole scene is hilarious <laughs> so um, for one thing Darth Vader should never <laughs> say Padme so you know so he, he wakes up and he's like where is Padme <laughs> oh, Lord Vader in your um, anger you killed her I I oh, no, oh, uh, no and <laughs> this whole no thing has haunted Star Wars ever since. I mean, the fact that, that they put no, this the, the, the no into Return of the Jedi in one of the special editions reissues. Uh, I think no, it was don't. the Blu-ray. Yeah, exactly. And it was like, well, they just put it in to tie it up with the prequels. It's like, stop it. That's why I was so happy that George George Lucas sold the rights to Star Wars because he just couldn't stop meddling with it. <laughs> that's that's a trademark of his uh, sort of style as a director, Simon, and you don't want to see that. No, you can't. They can't leave it alone. You know? can't I, leave I, it alone. I'm in total agreement that he's making the films worse. The more yeah. you like change stuff like that, the worse that they they are. Um, like the Ewok song being altered and stuff like that, like just mm. rubbish. Yeah, um, but. That's his thing. That's one of his favourite things to do is go back in and like, oh, let's just uh, spend, you know, $100,000 putting in this uh, CGI Yoda when we already had a puppet. Yeah. Amazing. Like, I'm it's, always happy to watch the, the original, uh, the prequel trilogy just for those sorts of crazy things that he does. He's trying to be like the artist Goya who used to keep painting over his paintings, you know, because he wasn't satisfied with them. yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, Lu- Lu- Lucas. I mean, every time it's re- or until he sold it, every time it was re- released on on home media, they'd make another little change, change yeah. somewhere, yeah. and it would yeah. be like, "Ah, oh, leave it alone." <laughs> and it's intriguing, you know. It sticks out like a, a sore thumb, especially if you've seen the film as a child, you know, a hundred times or whatever. You then watch it and think, "Wait a minute, what's that?" Well, um, I mean, the, if you should check out the despecialized editions of the original trilogy. Um, okay. I saw that I saw them like a year ago and what a breath of fresh air just to, to sit back and watch them as you originally saw them as a kid it was like ah oh, this is so good just because <laughs> well no seriously because um, at first when when the special editions came out you know you, you didn't really question the changes it's like well we just want mm-hmm. to update a few things and it's like fine and at first they were they were fine, apart from the scene with Jab Jabba. You know, he didn't want to see uh, yeah. 
yeah. you know, Jabba the Hutt in the in uh, the spaceport in Mos Eisley, because he his scene was taken out and then his dialogue was given to Greedo, and so you have Greedo saying exactly the same thing that Jabba says to to Han. So we just got a, a repeat of information, and you know, a, and 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 also a bit of added uh, fan service for. For the fans to have, you know, oh look, there's Boba the Boba Fett. Now he's in all three films. See, well, hey, you know, he's your favorite. You like the old Bubba, and here he is. There's this, there's almost this thing as well that happens. It's not specific to Star Wars, but you know, this all this talk of a Boba Fett film. Mm. I hate that because the whole point about Boba Fett being a badass is he just stands there. You know, he's got like two or three lines max. That's why he's awesome. Um, and then to, to be having a whole film in the backstory of it, you know, it's like this uh, Scorsese-produced Joker uh, standalone that Warner Brothers were talking about doing last month. You don't want an origin story for a character like the Joker. Like, that's that's the wrong direction to go in. Um, and I think with Boba Fett, like, p- possibly my favourite Star Wars character. I don't know, I'm not been on a big Star Wars pick over the last 10 years, but um, this is uh, this is not the right sort of direction to take this kind of part of the franchise and I think he's good because people know nothing about him I would rather just see it in the, in the belly of the Sarlacc yeah I mean at the end of the day he is the you know the man with no name character you know you don't know anything about him and that's what makes him intriguing but um, I, I I do think with the Disney films that there's going to come a point where it's just going to become so oversaturated that it's going to it's gonna lose its shine. It's it's it, you know we get we get a Star Wars film every year now, and it's kind of it's gonna it's gonna to get to a point where it's just gonna be oversaturation. It's just like mm, okay, yeah. enough now. We used to have to wait three years. Yeah, we used to have to wait three years for the next one. Yeah. You know what I mean? Anticipate. Yeah. Every year now we're getting getting a new one, which on one hand I think oh yeah that's great, and then on the other hand I think oh yeah maybe. Maybe, maybe this is going to get tired, and uh, you, you, they're going to dilute it too much. Is is the worry, uh, and t- take some of the magic away? I'm glad they're moving away from the Skywalker saga because it does make the Star Wars universe very small. If everything, everything just resolves around yep. the, the Skywalker family. So no, exactly. Um, the, the, I think, I think the, 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 the other thing. Sorry. Well, on your sorry, way. William. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, you go ahead, please. Okay, right. Well, I was just going to drop in. Think it was the perfect time to see it. I absolutely hated the Force Awakens. Um, couldn't have experienced a larger, um, you know, like turn off if I'd uh, if I'd been prepared for it. Like, um, I was really excited to go and see the film. I love J.J. Abrams. He's, I think, the a good example of what a Hollywood director can do. Um, when they play ball with the studio and they deliver what they're, you know, agreeing. Um, and I would say that The Force Awakens is not only J.J. Abrams' worst film, I would say, like, it has switched me off a little bit from automatically wanting to go and see what he puts out. And, I, I mean, I was so excited for The Force Awakens, I took my parents um, to go and see it because that's the sort of film, I think, if they're not regular cinema goers, that's the sort of film that's made for the seeing in the cinema. I just thought the film was flabby, slow, emotionless, 
Um, and it's strange because if I took any one of those little parts, you know, the cinematography, the performances, even the script, I thought was well written. Um, they all worked and they were all at the level they needed to be at. But when I watched the film, I couldn't get away from the fact that I was just being advertised at and that there was no real, I thought, uh, point or meaning to the story. It didn't have any of the charm of the original trilogy or any of the kind of bizarre uh, fascination of the prequel trilogy. I just thought, I'm done. I'm out. Um, and I saw the, the next one, Rogue One. I thought it was better. Um, but that's that's about it. So, mm. yeah. I hate the new stuff. <laughs> so, okay. obviously not looking forward to seeing The Last Jedi then? Um, I think my friend is, is excited to take me. So um, I'm looking forward to not disappointing him um, and attending. <laughs> I'm not, I'm, it's not a film I'm interested in going to go out of my way to see. If if my friends are going to the cinema and that's what we're seeing, fine. But I'm not mm. not enthusiastic to give more money to you know a non Lucas um, Star Wars trilogy. Though saying that, I think is it Ryan Johnson is going to be yes. doing the new the new unconnected trilogy. That's if correct. They'd, yeah. If they'd started with that, I think I might have been much more um, ready to kind of be open minded about it. But I, I really hate the new stuff. They're just dreadful. Yeah, but I mean the the way studios work at the moment, they they never have gone that way. They would have gone, well, no, we we must continue the sort of Star Wars saga because you know it's Star Wars, and we've got to have Luke Skywalker, we've got to have Han Solo, we've got to have Princess Leia, we've got to have people that you know that the audience will recognise because that's what we're into at the moment. We don't do new things; we do, you know, recycling things. You know, yeah. if an audience has heard of, of it, we're going to make it. So I, I might have even been a bit um, happy if I'd felt like they were going to just be going back to the Luke Skywalker story, but that's not what I thought was happening in uh, The Force Awakens. I thought they were doing a sort of retroactive continuity wipe of the prequel trilogy and presenting to the audience, this is the Star Wars you got from your childhood. And I, I remember when the teaser came out for The Force Awakens, I really liked how it was being presented, which was, you know, the X-Wing strafing across the uh, bay mm -hmm. and the stormtroopers inside that, uh, you know, troop carrier all being like shuggled around and stuff. And I just thought, fantastic, Abrams gets it. He's going to be delivering a film that is, you know, hyper stylized in a very realistic way in this completely fantastic sort of uh, story. And really none of that mattered because the story is just about kind of, making sure that people know that this is the original trilogy style and not, you know, Hayden Christensen and Medichlorians and Jar Jar Binks. And, you know, I would rather they'd taken those kind of risks and had them not pay off. I might have been more uh, sympathetic as a viewer, but it just strikes me as, you know, ultra safe, risk averse, great business model filmmaking, which is not really of any interest to me other than to read about it. Well, okay. I mean, that was the thing I liked about Force Awakens was a, was the fact that it was like, hey guys, this is this is the Star Wars you grew up with. It was uh, that made me sort of relax into it because it was like, you know, it, it's not Metaclorians, it's not you know Jedi's <laughs> who are totally invincible. Though saying that, I have a few problems with the character of Rey. Uh, I do agree with the whole Mary Sue thing. She does seem to be a character who's written in, who seems to know a lot for somebody who's an orphan stranded on a desert planet, you know, whose only goal in life is to clean, you know, is to, to get parts, clean them and get them for food. I mean, 
you know, when Han Solo mentions the fact that, um, you know, this sort of Jedi temple exists, she knows about it. And it's like, uh, how would you know about it? And the whole how she, be, you know, becomes one with the Force is very quick. I mean, literally, yeah. she's, you know, in the torture chamber and, you know... Uh, Kylo Ren is trying to get forced the information out of her about where the BB-8 droid is. And then, um, you know, suddenly, hey, she's one with the Force. And, yeah. you know, and also, also I think... Using the Force? Sorry? It can't be that special being a Jedi or being a Sith. You know, you just shut your eyes and it just happens. Yeah, yeah. So it's... <laughs> and, and for somebody who hadn't really displayed any kind of Force powers before that, I mean, I can understand it if if she was on um, Jakku and she was secretly using the Force, then, yeah, that would make sense. But suddenly, you know, she goes from being... She goes from being Luke Skywalker in A New Hope to Luke Skywalker in Return of the Jedi. I mean, fucking hell. She does the mind trick and everything. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, we, that's, we, we, that's no, very quick. Yeah, with no, we've, we've no four years in between. Green, exactly, uh, yeah. I, I, I mean, ho- hopefully that hopefully this new movie will um, will address and explain some of that. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm quite pleased to see, you, you, you know, where we end up, you know, where they finish the, um, the song, if you like, for the original characters before they go off into other directions with the, the uh with the star wars universe which which could be interesting i mean back 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 to the real quick <laughs> one of the things i mean um obviously yeah uh revenge of the sith uh i think the the, the ending of it you know with with the birth of, of luke and leia and the death of Armadala and all that sort of thing is, yeah. is, is all very, very rushed and um, <laughs> could have been done a lot better. Uh, um, it was almost and, like just a tie-in. But, and Keith, but, what does she that, die of? A broken heart. Oh, is it? A broken heart, isn't it? Yeah. yeah there you go. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> fairy tale you want to be, yeah. It's like, <laughs> really? Seriously, uh, you go with yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Uh. It could have been. It could have been much better. But what, one of the things, one of the things about all of it, and again, this is where we go back to sort of what's found and expectations were and what headcanon might have been and all this sort of thing is, you know, we all thought from that one line in, in A New Hope about the Clone Wars that, that the prequels were actually going to be possibly about the Clone Wars. And apart from, you know, a little bit at the end of episode two and a little bit at the beginning of episode three, um, they kind of jump over that and make it about the, the, the whole Anakin Skywalker to Darth Vader story. And, and then obviously in, to, to please the fans with the Clone Wars, they make an entire, you know, separate um, animated series about Clone Wars. But I, I mean, I, I don't know whether Disney um, and Lucasfilm in terms of where they go with, with, with Star Wars when in separate um you, you know trilogies and and stuff whether or not they will go back and 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 do anything about the clone wars as such or whether they'll just move on and go off in a in another direction at all um you know that that I'm remains just, to be seen i guess i'm just looking forward to the ultimate um you know rebooting of all the films so that we can see the rebooted version of the prequel trilogy original trilogy and now disney's new trilogy but that'll be for another 30 40 years so that's that's the stuff <laughs> 
looking forward to is like in 25 years time or whatever people are going to remake all of them so I, I think that, that's inevitable I think that's this makes so much money Star Wars they, they can't let it die yeah and that they're right to put a film you're, a, you're a decade younger than us you're a decade mm-hmm. No, you got to get the hope that you'll be in good condition for uh, seeing the, the rebooted uh, Phantom Menace. Yeah. William, you just reminded <laughs> me of something. And that was that I had a fear after Revenge of the Sith came out that they were going to reboot the original trilogy. And that fear came from an, uh, a painting I saw of, ha- of Luke and Leia as if they were... Um, Hayden Christensen's and Natalie Portman's children. <laughs> no, seriously. That's that's one to buy, Simon, and then put your wall. Um, it, it, but no, but the thing is that the thing was that you could see that. I I don't know if Lucas would do it, possibly because that would be the ultimate going back and redoing everything that he ever wanted to do to it. But mm-hmm. it it felt like a real fear that you know he's done these prequels. And he wants them to tie up with the originals, but the original, but the originals and the prequels don't match up. They really don't match up, especially the look, especially the sort of, you know, the continuity. So, what better way to do it than to reboot the, in you know, the sec, you know, the original trilogy, and have actors who look like they were the children of, you know, of the prequel characters. And Sounds absolutely like a conversation that would have been, you know, mulled over for hours and hours at Lucasfilm and uh, yeah. at the studio. You know, I'm sure that those discussions had happened. Um, saying that, I would watch those films. I would watch George Lucas make, you know, his seven, eight, and ninth Star Wars films as reboots of his original trilogy. Um, I but, think what's what's um, really interesting for me at the moment because I don't feel very connected to the current Star Wars that are coming out is what's George Lucas doing next. And has he got anything on the horizon? Which I, I don't know. Um, presumably he's having a, a really nice extended holiday. Um, but I think if he makes more films, that could be that could be really interesting. Well, this is the kind of thing, the, the, the kind of uh, the bad thing about the Star Wars films when it comes to George Lucas's career. Because when he started off, he, he was actually a very interesting filmmaker. I really rate THX 1138. I think that's a great film, yeah. an amazing visual film with uh, a really interesting concept and story. I enjoy American Graffiti. And yes, the original Star Wars trilogy was great and the Indiana Jones trilogy was great. But then he never really went from that into you know making more interesting films. Yes, he did Howard the Duck, which, yeah... <laughs> And he well, did... Marvel are going to do that now, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> get George Lucas in to direct it. I think he's the perfect sort of person. To <laughs> I, I think um... I think George should do what Francis did. You, you, you know, Francis Ford Coppola, which is obviously where George started out. Anyway, um, yeah. You know, he he had his success with his great movies, and now he's gone back to doing smaller, more personal projects. And I think with George. George has always been a pioneer and an innovator. And I think um, you know, he obviously doesn't have to worry about paying the bills or anything like that anymore. So um, I think that he should maybe uh, uh, go and go back to, you know, being an experimental filmmaker and, and doing things that interest him 
and um, y- y- you know, seeing what he can come up with because he's he's definitely got the resource to do it. Mm. So why not? It just depends whether he can be bothered now. I suppose I don't think he can be bothered. I mean, just look at the prequels. I mean, just look how they were made. They were all made in studio. He was always sat behind some monitors. It was all green screen. It was you know, I mean, even well, his... he never enjoyed production did he he admits that himself he never yeah. which is why he, you know didn't direct the second two and also why he, he, he got Spielberg to make the Indiana Jones films was he, he always said that he liked um creating the characters and he liked working on the edits and all this but the actual production part particularly with the things he wanted to do as they were so complicated um he never enjoyed that much so you, you know I guess being able to work in a studio in a green studio with cameras on cranes and whatever, and an editing suite built there was probably, you know, heaven for him when he was making those um, those prequels. You know, I yeah, guess. but not as not as us as viewers. I mean, this is this is the thing. As a filmmaker, <laughs> no, no, definitely not. As as yeah. a filmmaker, the the thing is, you want a bit of adversity. You want something that because if you go in and you make the film that you set out to make it's usually not that interesting to tell the truth it what makes films interesting is the stuff that comes up you know out yes. of of, yeah. of the location you're filming at or the conditions you're in you know i mean take the scene out of the opening scene out of gladiator it wasn't in the script that it starts snowing halfway through it it just happened and ridley scott had the you know the best idea to say, well, let's he embraced it. He embraced it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this, no, that's, this, this is I what mean, makes the, the I, prequels kind of, you know, those sort of in between scenes kind of boring is because they're, they're just in a studio with green screen. They can't move around much. I mean, you take the scene where, you know, so uh, Anakin Skywalker has gone to Mace Windu and he goes, Palpatine is the Sith we're looking for. And they, they, they go to rush off and confront him. Do they run? No, they walk at a fast pace because if they ran, they run out of studio space really quickly. You know? <laughs> if there was a set, that would have been a lot different. But no, they were in a big room with green screen walking on a, you know, like a travelator. And everything is kind of, yeah, sort of boring. I mean, I mean what, there are what, situations what, where that works, but it, it's like any tool in the filmmaking thing. It's it's you you know you use that where it works, and then you use uh, uh, locations where it works. And I think the best films are when they they blend the two absolutely. You know, um, and uh, you, you know for for me part of the excitement of film locate uh, filmmaking, even though it is a pain in the ass, but it is you know filming on location is actually quite exciting. Um, you, you know because you are up against the element and you are you know there are random things that that you haven't got total control of Uh, but you know at the same time some filmmakers want to be control freaks with everything the studio definitely gives them that um that flexibility so you know it's horses for courses i guess Mm. (laughs) i think i think that's the best way to see it i mean i was just thinking when you were talking about um green screen there simon the uh, thing that I think you can exploit massively with that is the opportunity to be in one place with your actors and you'd hope spend more time turning over actually filming than perform. But I don't think that necessarily lends itself to a director like George Lucas, who, yeah. as you've highlighted, hates making films when he's on production. You know, he doesn't like being, you know, 
making the movie itself, which is, is fair enough. Um, but if you have a more actor-orientated director, I think green screen is a really interesting tool. The example that springs out in my head is Sin City. Um, but other Indeed. films like you know, Snyder loves his green screen, mm. um, sort of backdrops and things like that. And I think, Keith, you're totally right. It's when people can blend it in the right amount between location, studio and, you know, digital uh, studios. I think that's where it's, where film can be something more than uh, its competition. And um, we're just at a stage where I think people are starting to figure out, right, CGI doesn't mean, you know, having a Balrog. CGI can be something a lot more kind of, I don't know, unnoticed. You re- yeah, Shuffle. you replace, <laughs> replace the sky, for example, because you maybe just got an overcast day, but that doesn't mean you can't throw up a enormous full moon and a whole fleet of stars. So I think we're getting to a stage where the filmmakers are using these tools as filmmaking tools rather than as gimmicks in and of themselves, which is the way that Lucas uses them. Um, the other thing that's just popped into my head is Christopher Plummer replacing Kevin Spacey in whatever movie is about to come out. I don't think Christopher Plummer's going to meet any other actors, certainly not actors that will be in the film, but I think he'll be on a green screen stage interacting with people wearing green suits, probably, who'll then he'll be then digitally composited into the final shots. So I think, you know... Mm, I don't know, actually. I From from reports I've heard, they've just gone back and reshot all those scenes. Yeah. Much easier. Yeah. I mean, the, the, we're living in an age now where every major film has major reshoots and a lot a lot of the money is spent on, you know, reshooting the film. So replacing an actor now is a lot easier. It's not the, well, we got to put them in a, you know, a green screen situation. And no, no, they just, they just go back with everything, all the, the actors and they just reshoot those scenes. So, and you just, um, uh, in, you just end up with hair discontinuity. Everything else is perfect. Perfect, but their hair. Oh hair my god! Is yes, different. This is yes again. I you you bring up another thing about the sequels, the prequels that were such a pain in the ass is that they all went through reshoots, and they you could clearly see what was reshot, and it all comes down to Ewan McGregor's hair. The first what the the first time was that he was doing a play where he had long hair. And he wasn't willing to cut it, so they had to make this wig to give him the um, the crew cut and the the rat tail again. But the problem was, it did make his face look like he'd been stung by a bee. It made it look like he's swelled up. <laughs> so you could tell every t- what was I a reshot. Yeah, yeah. He 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 looks like you know he's had an allergic reaction to something. Then when it comes to <laughs> Attack of the Clones, it's how wispy his beard is. Because obviously for the film he'd grown a beard, and then in the reshoots they just you know stuck a beard on him, but it wasn't clearly as you know near to what he had. So again reshoots wispy beard, and then again with the third one, um, they again I think it's it comes down to sort of the hair and the beard. It's like a combination of the two. It's not as 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 noticeable as the first two is, but you can still kind of tell. Mm. Well, actually, while we're on that subject then, what, what did we think? I mean, I, I really like Ewan McGregor. I, I'm, I'm very envious of his career, but mm-hmm. I really like him. I, I've had the pleasure of meeting him a couple of times, and I really like him as a, as a person and as, as an actor. 
and, and now a filmmaker. Um, but, I mean, what do we think of, uh, you know, his portrayal of Obi-Wan? Are we buying that he's a young Alec Guinness? Um, you, you know, what, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, well, I don't buy him as young Alec Guinness, but... Um again so much more could have been done with the character it was just it was it was badly written i mean some of his lines and stuff as well i mean when he's having a go at anakin for dropping his lightsaber and says this is your life you know again just doesn't bring true to what the character was in in the uh, original trilogy and uh and as i say with phantom menace he should have been more up front center then um then uh Qui Gon. Um I, I loved What about what you, William? I, I really like Ewan McGregor's uh performances in the prequel trilogy. I mean I think he understood very fast what he was doing and that was, you know, George Lucas's vision, not really um, um I don't know how you how he how he'd um, direct his actors other than what the actors themselves say. I don't think he's a good actor's director um, based on the kind of comments people have made but I, I really like it which is Ewan McGregor's obviously you know a talented actor I, I really like Ewan McGregor as well I think he's a, a solid performer he's got experience of Alec Guinness's performances presumably from watching him and he just did his own sort of George Lucasy version of a young Alec Guinness fine um, I love his accent. I think it's hammy, um, but it's it's the right kind of performance for those films. I think the Disney ones, the the sort of direction they're going in is a lot more serious and kind of, you know, emotionally realist. Um, that's not what George Lucas's films are about. They're purely escapist, and I think his performance is actually really appropriate for them. I, th- I think he's one of the he's one of the best parts of them. I think. Um, Natalie Portman got it as well. She's got a really sort of po-faced kind of political setup going on with her Amidala performance. But again, that's kind of, it works. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and who knows, you might be coming back as Obi-Wan in future films, but uh, who knows? Um, and, and what about in terms of other characters then in the, in the prequels? Uh, we've obviously talked about Jar Jar Binks and we've talked about Anakin and Obi-Wan, etc. But what about, I mean, how did you feel about the droids coming back um, in, in these films? I thought it was ridiculous that Anakin had built C-3PO. To me, C-3PO was a droid that had been in service and just happens to be, um, you know, on this rebel ship when it gets attacked. And, you know, I, 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 I don't for a second believe that I think that was a, a wrong move by Lucas to, to make, you know, Anakin build C-3PO and then for C-3PO and R2-D2 to be so connected to um, yeah. this, this storyline. I mean, that scene in um, Phantom Menace where um, they've just escaped the blockade and R2-D2 is introduced to Queen Amidala. It's like... Oh my God! This is such fan service. It's ridiculous. It doesn't make yeah, it was yeah yeah it, 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 yeah. it, it, it was it was totally fan service. And, and the thing is, it's another one of those things that makes the Star Wars galaxy seem small. and the Star Wars history seem mm. so small again. Um, the other thing I had a problem with with R two is obviously R two is clearly Lucas's sort of favourite character, and we all love R two. But at the same time, 
the fact that he was able to fly around everywhere with jets and whatever <laughs> really bothered me because I thought to myself, if that was the case, why, when he needed to get off the uh, cell barge in Return of the Jedi, didn't he just fly off? <laughs> yeah. You can remember because he's had his memory wave. off. Yeah, <laughs> he doesn't remember, yes. <laughs> <laughs> he, should have, he should have not put the drives in the peoples, I think. That was a that was a mistake. And yeah. it kind of, there was maybe as a result of that, um, not room to create a new kind of C-3PO or to D2. I don't know if uh, Jar Jar Binks would ever have fulfilled that role uh, as much as Lucas wanted him to. But they took up so much time with the droids, they could have put it better somewhere else. Anakin, Obi-Wan, Amidala, or Jar Jar, don't really care. Um, but just, meh. Yeah, and I don't I don't care that he built 3PO. You don't see Anakin at any point really beyond that being some sort of technical wizard other than constructing his lightsaber. But there wasn't enough of his sort of technological ingenuity from memory um, as a result of that. Why show him building a droid if he's you know not going to use those skills again in the future? Exactly. I mean, also the fact that, um, you know, he's supposedly this great pilot, yet uh, he likes to do spinning. Spinning! (laughs) Yes. I mean, um, mean, the opening to Revenge of the Sith as well. I mean, there's a lot of... That whole opening sequence, yes, it's a, a, a technical wonder, you know, to see this whole one shot where you see the space battle going on. But, um... I mean, some of the character motivations in it are a bit weird. I mean, Anakin worrying about some clones. They're clones. There's like loads of them. It's like, why why, why do you worry about these guys? Where was the scene at the beginning? It's like he slaps one on the shoulder. It's like, great to see you again. <laughs> you know, there's nothing like that. It's just suddenly, oh, I must help out these clones. No, no, just why? You know, oh, because you're a good guy. Even though in Attack of the Clones, I want to throttle you. You're so whiny. But, you know, hey, you know, you want to save some clones because, hey, I'm really good and I'm going to turn evil. Just remember that, guys. We're going to turn evil. Mm. But I think almost that's another layer that is really interesting to George Lucas's, you know, filmmaking in general and sort of especially considering Star Wars is the kind of morality and ethics he presents. Um, I don't... They don't really match up with any of mine. Um, Things like... You know, the fact that the Jedi are supposed to be good, but then we see them doing all these things that are totally questionable, like Hayden Christensen's mother, uh, or well, it's Jake Lloyd's mother in the first one, just being, is she not just left yeah. on Tatooine when when he, when Qui-Gon Jinn frees him? So it's like, what? wait a minute, that's not really cool, Qui-Gon. I know he has to gamble him out, but they never never come back or, no, or no. try and rescue it again. And, and uh, also you see with the uh, younglings... Oh, what a yeah, horrible oh, term. Yep. But yeah, with the younglings, they, they're taken away from their parents and they're taken off to, you know, this monastery on Coruscant, as in the Jedi Temple, to, to learn the ways of the Jedi. It's it's never sort of explained, you know, are these monks, you know, because... Mm, what, what do they do? Yeah. Than, you know, they're, they're, okay, up, up a, a whole bunch of folk. Well, they're supposed to be the guardians of the peace. They're supposed to be like the uh, the marshals in in the western. But the thing is, the marshals were also had they had their own life. They had their families and everything. So that to make the Jedi kind of these sort of weird monks, yeah, I don't know. It just doesn't work. I mean, you, you, how can you feel for people if you're sort of closeted away in this, you know, in this temple? 
But I, I do I do really like that. And I think it's amplified big time with the prequels because this was another chance for him to kind of maybe clarify what the Jedi were and stuff. But he doesn't and clarify. Instead, he doesn't no, he doesn't say instead, why instead, it's bad to fall yeah. in love with uh you know, with women of the opposite sex or you know, just to fall in love. Um because, you know, it's just a story plot to sort of oh, have some yeah. sort of tension between Anakin and uh, Amadella. You know, there, there's 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 nothing there's nothing ever stated that they can't do this and there's no reasons given why. It's mm-hmm. it's, it's not it, because they don't come across as a religion. If they were a religion, then I could understand that. It's like, well, we believe in the Force and we believe on our purity in the Force and we don't want to dilute that by having, you know, thoughts about lust and love, you know. Even though, as Anakin says, they are taught to love because that for to be guardians of the peace, they must feel love for other people. So it 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 doesn't make any sense that this was put in apart from a, a, a story plot line to make there some sort of tension between uh, Anakin and Amadella falling in love and it being a bad thing and being forbidden. You know, it, it th- there's there's no, you know, reason for it to be there apart from that. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the Jedi stuff is not particularly multifaceted, is it? It's a little bit sort of, uh, um, you know, two-dimensional um and that you're you're absolutely right it's something they've never really explored in these stories um you you know around the jedi um and 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 again yeah i think a religion it being a religion and it being a a you know a supernatural force rather than a um you know a medical (laughs) (laughs) or uh can you know you know a genetic thing um, would have been, you know, more interesting, I think. But, but hey, you know, he created it, so he's done what he wanted with it, I guess. Yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, guys, what are your final thoughts about the prequels? I like them. Um, I was going to say I love them there, but I'm just being pedantic. I like them. <laughs> um, they're certainly, I think, the Star Wars films I'm most eager to watch if I've got the misfortune to be watching a Star Wars film at the moment. Um, and I only say that because I've seen them all the Star Wars films so many times, apart from the new two. Um, but no, they've got a special place in my heart. I think the fact that they're so messy, convoluted, and don't make any sense, I love that. Um, it's like, that's the kind of blockbuster I want to watch. It's where somebody gives a guy like George Lucas mega bucks and lets him loose. Awesome. Um, and that's kind of what the new ones are missing for me. I would much rather Disney bought the Star Wars IP and then said, all right, we're not going to join up our films at all, but we're going to give free reign to any directors who want to make a Star Wars film. So there you go, Spielberg. There you go, Tarantino. Um, you know, there you go, Catherine Bigelow. What do you want to do? That, to me, that's the sort of Star Wars film I want to see. Maybe they're going to go down those routes a bit more, but it's too connected and too sort of micromanaged at this point for me. Interesting, yeah. Um, I like them. Uh, I, I will say like them. I don't have the love for these that I had for the original trilogy uh, because obviously that's what I grew up with and this this came afterwards. Um, you know, they are part of the official canon um, and part of the timeline. Uh, I wish some of the continuity was a bit better than it is. Um, some of it just feels a bit wedged in. Um, but... 
yeah, it's 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 enjoyable enough, but um, they it doesn't. I've seen them all a lot of times, but they don't have the watch appeal for me um, that the originals had, um, and the new ones I haven't actually watched that many times yet. So uh, so we'll see. But but they are what they are. You know, we've covered it. I think. <laughs> well, for me, I just ignore the prequels to the truth i don't <laughs> i don't return to them uh i don't um yeah you know the, yes they're canon but i just i just act as if they don't exist it's, it's a good way to live actually these uh, less less <laughs> well, headaches but i mean seriously i mean i just you know i just ignore them I was like, yeah, they they're Star there. Wars legends for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, quite. Yeah, it's yeah. part of Star Wars legends, the original, <laughs> the, 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 the prequel trilogy. <laughs> yeah, because I know there's there's a much better story there, but also I know that it was, you know, it was something that the original trilogy was built upon, and really it was better to be kept in our imagination than for us to show it, because whatever George had come up with. It would never have been as good as what we, as fans, imagine would have happened. And, you know, I went, I saw the films, I enjoyed them at the time, but then afterwards, after a few more viewings, sort of left a bad taste in my mouth. And, you know, and I kind of, I've never gone back to them. I've I don't buy any of these box sets. I mean, it's kind of ruined Star Wars in some sense for me. I mean, the fact also that Lucas kept changing the original trilogy, you know, and adding all these, you know, redundant, stupid things that really the film didn't need. And so I'm quite happy that I have copies of the original trilogy in their original state. And, um, you know, I I look forward to the day when, you know, Disney is able to re-release those original films as I'm we saw sure they game. will. Well, <laughs> the the problem was that with the special editions they actually went back to the original negatives and changed a lot of it. <laughs> so that they there they may not exist in a in a in a decent um way. The the guys who've done the despecialize have gone to different sources to rebuild these films i mean they've had to go to like uh 16 millimeter uh copies of the film they've had to go to laser disc dvds i mean i mean the fact that you, you remember that there was a dvd release of the special editions which had the the originals on yes, it and I they yeah and it was they, they were so they, they crap they, they were, no yeah, they were they a four by three three four by three letterbox i mean it was a real you know um, thumbing his nose to us, you know. Yeah, I was pissed off by that. I yeah. was actually pissed off yeah. when I got them because I, I bought all, I bought the whole trilogy like that, and I was like, oh great, you know, this is brilliant. I've got the the special edition, and I've got the original. And when I put it in and instantly found out that they weren't sixteen nine, I was like, what? Yeah. Oh my god, that sucks, you know. And uh, and the quality of them is not that good either. They're they're, they're um, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I've. So far, I mean, I've enjoyed uh, these new films from Disney. I mean, I have my problems with them as well. And they, they'll never be anything like the original trilogy to me. Um, I just don't have the time, really, to tell the truth, to go back and watch them. Um, I have real... 
I mean, I have watched uh, Rogue One back to back with A New Hope. And, oh yeah, me too. <laughs> and I must admit, it. it um, I mean, the reason why Rogue One is kind of there is to, you know, fill in a a plot point from the original that people had problems with. But at the end of the day, the fact that the Death Star had a design flaw was the fact that it was such a small thing that the Empire thought, well, this can't harm us. I mean, clearly they thought it must have been some sort of threat that they had a trench with lots of laser cannons on it protecting it. Otherwise, they could, the rebels would have just flown down to it, popped two torpedoes, photon torpedoes down the shaft and flown off and, you know, boom. So the fact that it was this character's revenge on the Empire was like, oh, really? Okay, oh, yeah. I mean, I enjoyed the film. Um, I enjoyed the second half a lot more than I enjoyed the first half. I think the whole sort of, as I say, trying to fill in a, a plot point, which I never had a problem with, was wrong. But there it is. And as I say, I really enjoyed Force Awakens. Uh, you know, I've watched it a few times since. I enjoyed the new characters. I enjoy the fact that the you've got the older characters kind of, you know, there as well. And I know it's going to be like a send-off for those guys. I mean, I'll be surprised if uh, Luke Skywalker makes it to the end of these this trilogy. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I think he uh, he's, his days are numbered. Yeah. Certainly. Um, I don't know. I mean, with the new films, I just feel like these are no longer George Lucas movies, and that was the only thing really to me that was of particular interest. Um, you can make it. You can make a Star Wars film. You can buy the IP, but you can't, you know, make a George Lucas Star Wars film if you don't include him, which they obviously are desperate to not do. Hmm. Um, yeah, but for, I, I agree with that decision. I, I think I, I think he's he's done a lot of damage to those films. He just can't let them be. And mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day, it's it's good now that it's taken out of his hands. I mean, is the work of the same quality no but then the i think the the thing as well is that um with the original trilogy he had a lot more time to come up with the the storylines yeah for i mean he definitely shows yeah and uh, you know at the moment we're especially i mean prequels and uh these new films the problem was is that they were in a factory situation that they needed to get these films out and the, the, it's like the scripts are kind of taking a step back with the prequels. And then with these new ones, the scripts have been a, a lot better. But then you see that they have, you know, they have their problems as well. I mean, the fact that they have to now go back and reshoot everything or more, um, most of the film. You mean, you do wonder what the original um, film for Rogue One was. Yeah. Mm. Oh, well, that's that's kind of my gripe I think a lot of the time with commercial Hollywood right now Mm. is that I feel like so often filmmakers visions are micromanaged and uh, the studio obviously are paying so much money to make these films you know like this uh, Star Wars stuff I empathize with that it's a business it's not art for them it's not this entertainment as an industry saying that I would much rather see a film that's a miss a la the prequel trilogy that was at least 100% the vision of its director than watch something that's been chopped, uh, reshot, rescored, rewritten, um, and then packaged, 
you know, I did, I did enjoy Rogue One. Like, I'll give it a solid two and a half out of five. But that's it. It's not an interesting film to me. Okay. Well, look, look to end this on a, on a positive note then, <laughs> uh, what I'd like to say is I, I think, um, you know, all respects in the world to George Lucas for creating this, this galaxy, this universe, this Star Wars world and this story and these characters. Um, fantastic what he's done with that. And, um, you, you know, he's not only changed the film industry, uh, in the process of doing so, but he's also, you, you know, created something there that that's, um, you know, spanned multimedia's and and uh, thousands upon hours of entertainment. So that's great. In terms of the moving forward, I think, you know, he he set this this universe up, this galaxy up, and I think, um, y- y- you know, let let's let new filmmakers take it and do new things with it and take it in other directions and if they're going to do that then then i'm excited to see more basically that's all i've got to say on it <laughs> i think I think, I, think, I, think, I think I think you're absolutely right respect to george lucas for creating it all and uh, delivering so much um you know six films is loads for one series for any filmmaker i think and um, so kudos he's certainly a filmmaker i admire and got a lot of time for and um in terms of disney stuff you know i'm gonna watch maybe maybe not at the cinema it might be the sort of thing that i wait for netflix i know that's probably gonna appall a lot of star wars fans which i consider myself one but, small um, screen i'm not, I'm not <laughs> well me i'm not that invested in them but i am interested to see what uh you know filmmakers like uh gareth evans and ryan johnson and the people who are making them are are doing um We'll see. I'm certainly listening. I've got my ear in the ground for any Star Wars related kind of developments and so on. It's something that I am still aware of whether or not I'll be. I think I'm more interested for the non sequel trilogy, actually. Um, talking has kind of clarified that. But yeah, George Lucas, it's, it's thanks to him that we've got all this and have the kind of information to discuss and the kind of uh, responses that are conflicting with his uh, prequel trilogy. You know, that if we didn't have George Lucas and we wouldn't have Star Wars. Yeah, nice. I agree with that. <laughs> so, William, um, where can people follow you? They can get me on Twitter um, at WAS underscore MCL. Um, that's probably, uh, I'm not particularly social media savvy, more of an email kind of phone call kind of guy, but I'll, I'll keep those uh, bits of information for now. You guys have got them. And Keith, where can people find out more about yourself? Okay, if you want to uh, see short films that I've made, if you go to British Isles, that's E-Y-L-E-S on YouTube, um, there are some short films there. Uh, Alternatively, if you put my name into IMDB, you can see things that I've been working on there. And obviously you can get in touch through the podcast. And as always, you can find my work at independentrunnings.com. Uh, You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube and all good uh, podcast providers. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search Movie Heaven, Movie Hell. And please leave us a rating and review on iTunes and Stitcher. It all helps. So that just leaves me to thank uh, our guest, William, for coming on. Well, thank you as well for having me back. It was a pleasure. Love love talking to you guys. Love hearing what you're, uh, you know, 
thoughts on my opinions are because obviously I've worked with you a lot Simon so that, that was that's always fun and uh, hopefully you'll join us for the next episode of Movie Heaven Movie Hell I've got a bad feeling about this <laughs> <laughs> we's gonna die <laughs> maybe to me the Jedi are evil <laughs> uh A long, long time ago, in a galaxy far away, Naboo was under an attack. And I thought me and Qui-Gon Jinn could talk the Federation into maybe cutting them a little slack. But their response, it didn't thrill us. They locked the doors and tried to kill us. We escaped from that gas. The Met Jar Jar and Boss Nass We took a bongo from the scene And we went to feed to see the queen We all wound up on tattooing That's where we found this boy Oh my, my, this here Anakin guy Maybe Vader someday later Now he's just a small fry Left his home and kissed his mommy goodbye Saying soon I'm gonna be a Jedi Soon I'm gonna be a Jedi Did you know this junkyard slave Isn't even old enough to shave But he can use the force they say Fourteen, yeah, he's probably gonna marry her someday. Well, I know he built C-3PO, and I've heard how fast his pod can go. And we were broke, it's true. So we made a wager or two. Ooh, he was a prepubescent flying ace, and the minute Java started off that race. The 
We caught a ride back to Naboo Cause Queen Amadala wanted to I frankly would have liked to stay We all fought in that epic war And it wasn't long at all before Little Hotshot flew his plane and saved the day And in the end some Gungans died Some ships blew up and some pilots fried A lot of folks were croaking The battle droids were broken And the Jedi I admire most Met up with Darth Maul and now he's toast I'm still here and he's a ghost I guess I'll train this boy And I was singing My, my, this here Anakin guy Maybe Vader someday later Now he's just a small fry And he left his home and kissed his mommy goodbye Saying soon I'm gonna be a Jedi Soon I'm gonna be a Jedi We were singing My, my, this here Anakin guy Maybe Vader someday later Now he's just a small fry And he left his home And kissed his mommy goodbye Saying soon I'm gonna be a Jedi